0: um and so if you've got a bible you can probably guess which book we're going to be in we're going to be in the book of james and so if you struggle to find it you can use your contents page if it's your bible you paid for it so it's a page you can use you don't look more spiritual if you don't use your contents page did you ever those that grew up in church if you like felt self-righteous because you could find a book without looking in the contents page don't worry about that here you can use your contents page and if you don't own a bible then we've refilled up there. They got uh, taken last week, so that's stocked back up and you can um, you can pick one of those up. That's our gift to you, is the gift of a Bible uh, and you can take that um, and that would be fantastic. But last week, we only got through one verse. Do you remember those that were here? We got through one verse. Well, I'm hoping this week we'll get through a few more. That's the promise. Um, but last week, we got through one verse and I said that whenever we approach the book of the Bible, there's two questions we should always be asking, which is who wrote it and who are they writing to? And verse one sums that up for us. It says, it's James writing to the 12 tribes dispersed uh, in the known world. And so, uh, just to give you a brief summary of what that was, the name James doesn't actually appear anywhere in the original Greek text. It's the name Jacob. It's Ichabos, the name Jacob. And so this is Father Jacob, and it is going to get fatherly, let me just tell you. If we're going to get raw with stuff this week, and it gets a bit close to the bone, I said last week, do not text or email me, okay? I am just the messenger reading the word. You can take it up with God because James is a father and he's speaking to the 12 tribes. Anyone who knows their Bible, there was a man called Jacob in the Old Testament who had 12 sons. So this is Father Jacob sitting down with his 12 sons to speak a bit of truth into their life. So we're going to speak some truth, okay? We're going to sit down and have a little chat this week just about what James wants to bring to our attention. So hopefully you found the book of James. If you haven't, then worry, it'll come up on the Sky Bible. I'm gonna start calling this because it's in the sky. So we'll just call it the Sky Bible. So it'll be on the Sky Bible if you like it. Verse 2. Chapter 1. We're slim chapter one. We're, we're just moving on from last week. We've got verse 1 done last week. We're just doing verse 2 this week. So ready? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Thanks, James. It's like I mean, there's no real greeting, is there? There's no peace to you, and let Jesus know how much He loves you. It's just counted it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be sorry perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it may be given to him. Let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I told you it was going to get like, proper practical. So I think we need to pray. Is that okay? I'm going to know anyway whether you agree or not. Father God, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that, that, Lord, your word says that you're a father, and as a father, you, you discipline your children. And so we come now, and this is to those in the room that believe. I just pray right now that our hearts would be open, that we would, that we would be aware that your spirit comes and it, it disciplines because you love us. And so we, 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 anything we sense from your spirit this morning, we just ask that it would come in the area of conviction and not condemnation. It would come in the place of love and grace, knowing that you love us so much, you want us to become more and more like you. So we open our hearts right now to receive your word. And everybody said, amen, amen. So I feel this is a really safe place. Is that okay? They say confession is good for the soul. So is it all right if I make a confession? Some of you are looking worried already. When I was in year seven, so anyone, how old are you in year seven? Like 11, you You're about 11 years old. I'm 11 years old and I cheated on a test. I know some of you are ready to leave the church. It's like the pastor is a liar and a cheat. Yes, I am. I cheated. It was a French test. Let me tell you what happened. So I struggle with English. So French was not great for me. Um, but you have to take a language. So it's, it's year seven. And I, I, the French teacher, I won't say anything. She was lovely. Um, but like language teachers are interesting, aren't they? Like German ones scared me even more. But the French teacher, she just kind of scared me a little bit, and French scared me, uh, and so we had what they were called, these vocab tests, everyone have, anyone remember vocab tests, and we had a little vocab book, that we wrote down, all the little vocabulary in, and that was fine, because all the answers were on the board, and we'd fill it in, and, um, and we were meant to go home, and memorize it, um, but I, that's the bit I struggled with was the going home and memorizing it because I could go out on my BMX listening to Michael Jackson on my tape player. So I didn't really, I'm a child of the 80s, so I didn't really want to memorize uh, vocab, French vocab. So it came to the test day and my friend said, have you learned the vocab? I was like, no. Really didn't even look at the vocab in the vocab book. So all I can say is, I mean, I was, I was a born again Christian at a very young age and I thought this was a word from the Lord. Looking back, looking back it probably wasn't. But I felt him just prompt me and say just cheat now that's i know that's now with the wisdom of years it's not a word from the lord but i didn't want to write because everyone just wrote the words down on their hand and i was like that's just so obvious and i was a little bit sweaty because i was nervous so i thought what i'm going to do is this is the plan so i'm going to when i'm sat in my seat i'm going to discreetly get my vocab book i'm just going to open it to the relevant page on my lap the teacher will never notice how naive i was the teacher will never notice and what i'll do is every time she reads out a word this is what i'll do oh, I can't remember that word, oh, there it is. And I do it like that really discreetly and just glance down at my lap as I pretend that I'm looking around for inspiration on how to spell that word. And so I just aced that test. It was like, I'm, I'm just nailing, because I'm going, oh, what's that, fenetra, there we go fenetra. And that's the only French word I can remember. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm writing this down, and I'm thinking, yes, I'm going to ace my first French test. And just as the end of the class came, she was ready to dismiss us all, and she just said, John, can you stay back at the end of the class? And my, my life just fell through the bottom of my pants. I just knew that she had caught me and that I knew that I was going to be in trouble. The the worst thing was my dad was the deputy head of the school, Uh, but we'll leave that to one side. And so um, I had no hope, did I? Um, And so she called me down at the class and she said, John, I'm fully aware that you've just cheated during that test. And there was no escape. There was no way out of it. And I had to admit that I would cheated. She then went and told my dad, which made things even worse, although actually dad was really good about it. He let me off. Yes. Um, That's another story for another day. Um, but I, I had to resit that test. I, was, I had to go through detentions. And, and I know for some of you in the room that are overachievers, that story just doesn't ring any bells for you, because it's like you just aced every test. But for a dyslexic D-star student that struggled with English, it, it, it kind of made me think, what's the point of tests? What's the point in, in, in taking tests that just seem to make my life harder? What's the point? If I can just cheat on that test, or I can just avoid that test, my life is going to be so much the easier. Count it all joy, my brothers. That word brothers can actually be beloved. See, this is, this is Father James. He is, this is a, if people tell you this isn't a pastoral letter, let me tell you it's pastoral in, in every aspect. He loves the people that he is writing to so much that he's just saying it as it is. My beloved, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. I'm not sure if you were to try and like list your top ten things that bring you joy in life. I'm not sure anyone in the room, trials would be in there. Like for me, if I think the top 10 things in my life that would bring me joy, my wife, I mean, she's in this week, brings me joy, her dark hair and her dark eyes, my wife, my kids, most of the time, bring me, bring me joy. I'd say pizza, that brings me joy, nothing like a pizza, followed by some donuts. That brings joy to my life. Pizza and donuts are never putting on weight. That would be, for me, the greatest joy in my life. Trials, I'm not sure trials for any of us, however spiritual you are, and we can claim on a Sunday, oh, joy be to the Lord because I've been going through trials, but God is good. Inwardly, I think, actually, if we were being honest, trials would not be anywhere near our top ten of ways of experiencing joy. So what's James actually saying here? Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Is James telling the believers of the day, just just live in denial? Just pretend the hard stuff you're going through isn't that hard. And if he is saying that, then I want to say, excuse me, James, is following Jesus then not just a bit fake? Are you not just telling us to fake it until hopefully one day we make it? Is, Is being a follower of Jesus... The most disingenuous thing you could ever do in your life. That when trials come, we just pretend that life is good. I'm not sure that's what James is saying. Count it all joy. That word all, it means only. Count it only joy. Count it the purest expression of joy when you go through trials of various kinds. we got to verse 2. And as I read it, I'm thinking, James, we're two verses in and you are a crazy man. Trials equal joy. I'm not sure the trials that I've been through have been that much fun. Pain, discomfort does not equal joy in my life. But the Bible makes it really clear. That God is a God who wants to fill us with complete joy. God is a God who loves to be generous with joy. In fact, in in John 16... Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says, just ask whatever you want. Just ask. And we want to give to you. The Father wants to give to you. And he says in verse 24, he says, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive. And your joy will be complete. God wants to complete our joy. God is a God who wants to shower us with joy. To experience a completeness of joy. And here in James we see that completeness of joy is connected to trials. And so we have to conclude that if God is a God who wants to give us all joy, if he was to keep us from trials, he would therefore have to keep us from complete joy. And that is not in God's nature. God wants to shower us with joy. And therefore there's a connection The Scripture is saying trials but it's funny isn't it because we think that the proof of God in our life is that he keeps painful things at a distance that he he keeps us away from all the trials the testing is kept to arm's length it's like me cheating in my French test this test is anything but fun and so I'm going to try and make this test a little less painful by cheating my way through it because we conclude that I will experience more joy When there's less testing and trialing in my life. I've heard so many people say, if God really loved me, then he wouldn't have let blank happen. And blank is always negative. Blank is always seen as something really tough. God really loved me, that wouldn't have happened. But here what James is showing us is that the very evidence that God loves us and wants to ex- us to experience overflowing joy in our lives is that we're going to face trials of various kinds. That word "various" means multicolored. That the trials we face are going to come at us as multicolored as the rainbow. That for some of you, you're going to be facing a red-hot trial, and for somebody else, that's like that's like pink at best. But then for, for what's pink at best for you is like dark blue and somebody else it's like, well, that's just light blue. They are going to be so varied and they're going to be so, so different in all of their ways that we're all going to face them in various ways. But the command and the command is that in the midst of these trials, consider it joy. James is not mincing his words. I'm commanding you to consider it joy When you face trials of various kinds. So I'm I'm fairly simple. So I'm like, okay, James, if that's what you're saying, why is it then these trials and tests that we all face, that none of us in this room have been excluded from, why is it they are so painful? Why is it considering them joy seems so hard? James goes on in verse 3. and He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, if you're like me at school, taking tests, I'm talking to the non-overachievers in the room, okay? I'm, I won't expose you, but you're more like me and you really struggled in school and you didn't get 10 out of 10 in every test. So if you're an overachiever, you can't associate with this. But for me, when I took a test in school, some would come out, the overachievers would come out saying, yes, 10 out of 10. I got 10 questions right. So 10 answers right to the 10 questions. I would come out and I'd be like, "Oh, three out of 10. And I'd never go, Yes, that was three that I knew. That's never what I did. I always went, well, there's seven that I didn't know. It was always the negative. There's seven that I did not know at all. You see, for me, tests were always negative. They were proof of what I didn't know. And I think we think that about God. That when we start facing tests and trials, that it's like God is this this being in the sky that's going, right, I'm testing you to see how strong your faith is. Which we determine to mean... I'm going to prove that you haven't got enough faith. So this test is going to come across your path, and you're going to go, oh, my faith is not as strong as it should be. I'm so sorry, God. But if you read the verses here, it says, for you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of the faith that you have, not the testing of your doubt. These trials are not the testing of your lack of faith. These, testings are the tri- are the te- these trials and tests that God brings across your path are the testings of your faith this is to prove the faith that you do have because it's faith that pleases God and faith is only seen when faith is what is required faith is only seen when faith is what is required so if my life was just filled with ease what's the need for faith? everything I ever did just went swimmingly there was never a problem it's like my life is actually quite manageable on my own I don't need God, because actually my life is fairly easy. I don't need faith. Can I tell you something and listen to this, church? If you only take one takeaway this morning, it's this. God has not called you to a life of ease. He has called you to a life of significance. God has not called you to a life of ease. He has called you to a life of significance. James would say it like this. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect, it means mature. That you'd be of strong character. That you would be somebody of significance. What he's saying is that kind of person, that kind of person of significance, it requires perseverance. It's not just going to fall in your lap. It's going to require you to keep going to keep pressing in, to stick it out, no matter what the circumstances. Church, the only way we can carry on in the midst of trials is when we have faith to believe that through it all, God is going to give us a joy in our life that we could not have had any other way. That's what God's doing through the test. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfastness is the word. Perseverance, endurance. Doesn't sound very exciting, does it? like, wow, I've got perseverance in my life. Whoa, you're good looking. I've got perseverance. I'm the winner. Whee. <laughs> kind of, it's not a really sexy thing to have in your life, is it? It's amazing what the world does with the things that God deems significant. You see, we would speak to somebody and they'd say, like, I'm a great lover. Slept with 40 people in my life. I am a great lover. 40 notch posts on my bed. I'm a great lover. Can I tell you? You show me the man that has been married for 40 years, who has been through thick and thin, that has endured all things, who has stayed with his wife for those 40 years, I'll show you a truly great lover. See, the world, thank you, the world turns it the other way around. The world would say, "Oh, be, be, spread yourself thin and be shallow and then you'll be great. But God says, no, 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 no. I want you to show perseverance. I want you to show depth of character and then you'll be someone of significance. You see, it's a matter of perspective. And if you want a title for today's talk, that's what it's going to be. It's a matter of perspective. The reason we can consider it all joy when we face trials of various kinds is because the testing of our faith develops perseverance and this perseverance is doing a work in us, making us mature and complete so we won't lack anything. So we can be the people that say no when anything or anything comes across our path that would steal the joy that God wants to give us. That's what perseverance does in our life. See, having been caught in that French test, I had to do a few detentions. It's like my dad didn't punish me. The reason my dad didn't punish me is not because he was really easy to get one over it's because he was like well i'm a teacher in the school and if any other student had done that they wouldn't have gone and told their parents so just because i'm a teacher in the school why would they come and tell me that teacher is punishing you that's punishment enough which i appreciated a lot because i liked watching the simpsons on a six o'clock on a on a weeknight um and so where was i what was i saying i got waylaid with the simpsons Detention. So I I had to sit the detention and I had to, to, to take that test over and over and over again. You see, what I didn't realize was that that test was not meant to expose me, but it was meant to see if I was ready for the next level. That test was not there as a punishment. It was to say, have you done everything in this little season? Because I'm preparing you for the next season. And unless you pass the test in this season... I'm not sure you're going to be ready for what you've got for the next season. You see what I didn't realize was that test in year 7 was preparing me for the test that I would eventually take in GCSEs a number of years later. And let me tell you when I took that test at GCSE I looked back going that year 7 test was dead easy. I don't know what all the stress was about. I got to sit in a room telling somebody about speaking in French. Let me, Can I just tell you this? This is a. This is just a little tangent. My French oral was the most horrific thing in the world. I have never had a worse experience. As You sit in a room and the teacher is trying to mouth to you the answers. And all my test was about was um, uh, about uh, being in a, in a restaurant with a waiter. And I remember the only words I said was this: "The waiter drop a la plate." <laughs> I got a D in French GCSE. The waiter drop a la plate. See that test in year 7 it meant me realizing <laughs> it meant me realizing that that test was bigger than what I thought it actually was. It was meant for something so much more. Church some of you are going through tests and trials right now not because of what God has planned for you now but for what he's got planned for your future. That God is wanting to take you deeper And he's saying, I've got some tests for you right now that are going to come across your path. Because I'm wanting to take you deeper and make you more complete, more mature, lacking in nothing. Because I've got some plans for you in the future. But unless you go through this test, you're not going to be ready for that which I've got planned for you. It's a test of our faith. See, that French test was not enjoyable. I had to work hard and persevere. And the teacher couldn't do it for me. I never quite understood that. It's like, you know the answers. Why are you asking me? Because in real life, I'm just going to ask Google. And you're as good as Google. So what? I mean, Google didn't exist back then, but that's what I'd be thinking now. It's like, but you know, all good teachers during the test, what do they do? They sit in silence, don't they? They sit in silence. See, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. You see, Jesus is already perfect. Perfect. Jesus already lacks nothing, he's God, he's fully man and fully God and so in the same way that when my kids were learning to walk, I didn't say, we're going to teach you to walk, now just sit there and I'll do everything for you, you don't need to move, I'll get your drink for you, I'll shut the door, I'll do everything for you, now when my kids were learning to walk, it was like, go on, see if you can get it and when they fell, we didn't go, see I told you you'd fall because you were learning to walk, no, come on, get up, back up, I'm teaching you to walk teaching you to walk, go on, you can do it, you can do it, keep walking, keep walking and that's what God is doing in the test, you see it's about letting your faith develop, he's giving you the opportunity to step into endurance because he knows without it you'll never learn to walk, that's what the tests are about, see the joy that I have come to see in the trials is that each and every trial I face, is like a little note from God, It's a little note from God saying, I'm teaching you something. I'm permitting this, I'm letting this come to you because I'm teaching you something. I'm preparing something. Something in your life is going to come and it's going to feel bigger than you are. There is a test or a trial that's going to come that's going to make your life feel small and that problem is going to feel big. And the reminder is, because I'm taking you somewhere bigger than your life I'm going to use you in a way where you move beyond the size of your own life and that test is a reminder to say that problem may seem really big but you know what, it's not bigger than your God some of you are going to start agreeing with me in a minute and I'll preach for 40 minutes less God is not punishing you He's preparing you and he's saying you this test for you is not me smacking you it's not me coming down and saying you've been really bad with your faith it's saying i've got some plans and some purposes and this opportunity is bigger than you but it's not bigger than me because you god are far bigger See, God wants to take you into a life of significance that is bigger than yourself so you can experience the bigness of God. And let me tell you, there is no greater joy than when you step into something and you look and go, there is no way this can work outside of God. There is no way this can work. And then it starts working and you say, wow, there really has to be a God. Because outside of God, this ain't going to work. And God proves how big he is. God proves just who he he is for you in your life. It's a matter of perspective. See, Hebrews 12 reveals that perspective. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus endured the pain because he could see the joy that was through the other side of the pain. Jesus didn't go to the cross because suffering is a virtue. Jesus went to the cross because it's God's intention that we would experience joy. As he went through the suffering to get to the joy. See, so many of us spend our lives trying to avoid trials, not realizing that there is a joy just the other side of them. He endured the trial and the suffering and he went through it all his joy could then be complete. And do you know what his joy was? You were his joy. I was his joy. The joy that he saw the other side of the cross was humanity being able to be in right relationship with their creator. That was the joy that allowed him to go through the suffering. The suffering that he went through for you and for me. So we could experience a right relationship with God. See, James just... Starts to flick a little bit now. But I told you, he's like a father that's, that's speaking to his sons. And it's like he, there's no systematic journey through the book of James. So he starts talking about trials. And then he now goes on to wisdom. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. Where, where, where's the join here? Where's the link? Uh, and then he's going to go back to trials again in a minute. But it's just like a father sat down with their kids. And it's like, right, I'm going to tell you all about trials. And, then, oh, by the way, there's this thing about wisdom. And, oh, I forgot to say this about trials. So let me go back. So this is just a father sat down with his children. And he goes on to talk about wisdom, and he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, that it may be given to him. I mean, does that sound like a dad? If you're struggling in any area, just ask God. Oh, can you elaborate? No, I don't need to. Just ask God. I love the way the message translation says this. It'll come up on the screen. It says, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. Oh, thanks, James. Thanks. If you don't know what you're doing, just pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help, and you he won't be condescended to when asking for it. Ask boldly, believing without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind whipped waves. Glad I said that right. <laughs> don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. James is just saying it. Just pray. I mean, for me, this gives such reassurance. So I might be the pastor of the church, but there are so many moments when I don't have a clue what I'm doing. For some of you, that gives you reassurance. It's like, wow, he's like us. But for others, they're like, what? <laughs> There's so many moments when I don't know. But, but James just says it. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. Oh, okay, that's what I'll do. Keep it really simple. There's a word. For just keep it simple. Just ask. Okay, James, thanks, I will. And I don't need to fear that my worry or, or my question is a dumb question to ask God. He says you won't be condescended to. I mean, how many times have you asked a question and someone's just gone, that is the dumbest question I've ever heard. you like, oh, yeah, sorry, that was meant to be a private, personal question. And you've just told the whole room that it was a really dumb question. God's not going to do that to you. Just ask. He's not going to be condescended to. And then James, he goes back to trials again in verse 12. He says, blessed. And in between, actually, he goes to talk about the rich and the poor. So he's flicking all over the place. And He goes back in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. If you're not sure what their joy looks like, it's called the crown of life. And Can I just tell you something? That's not eternal life. That's not what's being referenced here. He's not saying, don't worry if you suffer on earth because you're going to get to heaven and be with me and then it's going to be a big party. He's the crown of life is a reward in this life. He's saying there's going to be something that comes. Cling on to the God that you worship, the God that you serve, because there's something coming that I have reserved, a crown of life that is reserved for you once you've endured this. So stick with it because there is some joy coming across your path. And in verse 13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, gives forth de- brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. I said we were going to get through a few more than one verse this week. If we don't want to be here this time next week, still doing James. Hopefully you're enjoying it. See, James is making it abundantly clear. He's saying on this journey as a Jesus follower, we need to make the distinction between a trial and a temptation. That there's a difference. That actually, temptation is what the evil one brings into our life with the purpose of stealing your life. And a trial is what God brings into your life with the purpose of giving you life. A temptation is what we're going to want to get into. A trial is what we're going to want to try and get out of. And James explains how temptation works. And he says it's like fishing. Fishing. Is the language he's using, it's fishing, it's like a, a lure, and if anyone's ever been fishing, I've done it once in my life with Ian Robinson, who you know, is, uh, leads worship for us, and I was sick as a dog, it was sea, sea fishing in the middle of the ocean, and I just, but I'd never done fishing, and I was like, oh, whack the bait on, chuck it in, and just sit here waiting, um, but actually Ian was like, no, no, you need to put a lure on the line, because the, the fish will see it, and they'll go, ooh, nice, and then they'll eat it, and then they'll get caught on the hook, See, they desire it because they see it and then they'll go after it and bite it and that's when you can whip them away and you've caught them. So James is explaining how temptation works. But he's making one point really clear. And he's saying there is a difference between temptation and sin. So in the same way there's a difference between trials and temptation, James is also saying there's a difference between temptation and sin. See, look what he says. He says, each person when he is tempted... When he is lured and enticed by his own desires, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, temptation is not sin. Temptation starts within. And if we allow it to, to nurture and grow, it develops into actions and expressions that the Bible calls sin. To be tempted is not to sin. For some of you, that should be the biggest relief of your life, because you're like, I am tempted every single day of my life to cling on to this or to pursue that, Jesus was tempted. In fact, Hebrews is it Hebrews 4, I think it's Hebrews 4, it says that Jesus, was, we have a high priest who to sympathize with this, talking about Jesus, because he was tempted in every way, but was without sin. We can, we can read about this temptation in Matthew 4, when Jesus, for those that are familiar with their Bibles, Jesus spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness being tempted. And it says this in Matthew verse 4, it says, um, sorry, in verse 2, Verse 1, we'll, go to, we'll start at 1. Sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? When Jesus was led up uh, by the Spirit into the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil. I love how the Bible is so real. God doesn't keep the ones he loves the most from temptation. Jesus here is put right in the midst of it. Not God is not the source of that temptation, and it's not to show that he's going to fail, but it's to empower him to be an overcomer. And Jesus, after fasting for 40 days and nights, was hungry. I mean, no kidding. 40 days. I love how the Bible can be so ambiguous. It's like he was hungry, yeah. I bet he was. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. See, this is the way of temptation. The enemy knows our weak spots. The enemy knows that he will come to you at your lowest. And tempt you with a lure towards that thing that is your weak spot. And what James is saying is, you will look at that, that thing that is tempting you. And you will think that it will feed the desire inside of you. You'll pursue it because you think, I, I deserve to be happy. God would want me to be happy. And so we pursue that thinking it's going to bring happiness into our life. Because that's the desire within inside of us. See, the devil knows what Jesus wants. After 40 days and 40 nights with no food, he wants some food. The devil knows what the desires are inside of our hearts. He knows how to entice us. So it says, but Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's like, wow, I love it. So poetic. Isn't Jesus amazing? That's when you say, yes, John. <laughs> but can I say something about this verse? If I can be really honest, really winds me up. Really winds me up. It's like Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. And the way it was taught to me, it's like Jesus didn't need to eat. Oh no, he did not need food. He just needed to contemplate the Psalms. Because that's what would satisfy his hunger. And I'm thinking, great, so when I'm hungry and I'm really tempted by something, all I need to do is just read the Bible and the grumbling in my stomach. seems to get louder and louder and I'm reading and it's like I want it even more now and it really hasn't helped see I, I think we've done ourselves a disservice when we teach this verse like that I'm not sure that's what this verse is about see I don't think Jesus is saying I've not eaten for 40 days I don't need food I just need to hear from my father I just need the bible that's all I need I'm not sure that's what Jesus is saying see I think Jesus wants food I think he's like, yes, I want those rocks to become bread. I haven't eaten for 40 days. He was fully God, yes, but he's fully man. I want that food. But what Jesus is actually doing in this passage is he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. He's quoting from a a story when the people of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've come out of slavery. They've been generations in slavery. They have no idea what it is to live in freedom. They've never made a decision for for themselves. When you've lived in slavery, you don't have to make a decision. When you live in slavery, you can blame your circumstances on your captors, their fault. But what God does with the people of Israel is he brings them out and he says, you're now free. Take some responsibility. You can make decisions for yourself. See, the people of Israel went from a cruel master of Egypt to a kind master that's God. And God is teaching them what it is to be free because he's the kind of master that sets his people free. And so in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, it says this, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years, here it is, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. You see, the tests and the trials don't uh, also reveal who we actually are. There's nothing like a test and a trial to reveal what I've actually got going on in there. He said, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. For each, uh, to teach you, sorry, that man does not live, here it is, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, your feet did not swell these 40 years. Know that in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you. Oh God, that you would just set us free from these captors. Oh thank you God, you set us free from these captors. Oh hang on God, we're hungry. Got no food, got no clothes. And so God in his, his mercy and his grace he provides. And each morning they'd wake up and there were like these cornflakes on the floor. They're like, what's this? I don't, we don't know what this is. It's manna. Actually, the word manna means what is this? So they were just going around going, it's what is this? Oh, that's what it is. It's what is this? It's what is this? I don't know. It's what is this? There, uh, What is this? Let's eat what is this? And God would provide for them every single morning. But the thing with manna is they only had a 24-hour shelf life. And so every morning, they they had to gather new manna. Uh, But they started to doubt God. It's funny how we do that, isn't it? God says he's going to provide for us. But every morning, we're like, I need to be reminded, God, you're providing for me. I'm trying to store up on yesterday. But actually, you've got something new for me today. And he's got fresh manna every morning. And the people that tried to store it up, they would keep hold of it. And then they came to it the next day, and it was filled with maggots, and it was rotten. And God said, yeah, because it's 24 hours. But then on on the fifth day, he said, okay, but this manna is going to last for 48 hours. Because actually, I don't want you to have to gather any on, on, on the day of rest, on your Sabbath. So I'm going to make five days last for 24 hours, and then one day will last for 48 hours. So you don't have to work. Was it the manner that determined that whether it would last for one day or for two days? No, it wasn't. It was just manner. It was when God spoke in to the manna but it determined whether it would last 24 hours or 48 hours. God had spoken in to it. See, somewhere along the line, we've determined that the supply will meet our needs. It's the bread that we need that will give us joy. If I could just have that, then I'll be satisfied. And we take that thing that was originally good from God and we sometimes take it out of season and we claim it for ourselves because I've got this desire inside of me that needs feeding and that's good and I need it. But God has not spoken into it. And it will never satisfy. But if God speaks into it, he says, now eat, drink and be merry. or oh, enjoy it. Have it. Because I have spoken into it. And Jesus knows in this moment, there's nothing wrong with the bread. In fact, I desire the bread. But if God has not spoken into it, that bread would be like eating rocks because it will never satisfy me. But when God speaks into it, it makes all the difference in the world. When God speaks there is life. When God speaks, we can be satisfied. That's why when we face the trial, when we face the trial, we know that this is a moment where God tears open the barrier between us and God, and he's stepping in and he's saying, all that you would know, that you would know that in the midst of this trial, there is an overflowing, overwhelming joy because your God is ready to meet your need. God would meet your need, not your desires. Layla, can you come and play? Because we need to lull these people into a full sense of security. (laughs) That I am finishing. I am. We're going to finish, and we're going to finish with a song in in all but two minutes. But I was just contemplating this of God, and it reminded me of a story in 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 4, there is this uh, battle that the, the children of God go through, and it's a battle against their old enemy, the Philistines. And, and, uh, and actually on this battleground, um, what happens is that uh, god uh, they're praying to God that they would beat the Philistines, but you know what? They don't. They lose the battle. And actually they stand there and say, God, how could you let this happen? Amazing isn't it? When we lose the battle, it's like, God, it's your fault. But actually what happened is the, the enemy overwhelmed them and the worst thing was that they lost the Ark of the Covenant. The very presence of God is taken away from them the Philistines take it and they've got it for themselves. If you flash forward to to chapter 7, actually, what happens is the Philistines um, have such a terrible time with this ark. They're like, we've got to give it back because it is horrific what this is doing to us. So they give it back to, to Israel. And the children of God have the presence of God back with them. And so they're now, 20 years it says passes since they got the ark back. And the people are coming back to God. I mean, we're so slow as humans, aren't we? Over 20 years, they're coming back to God and they're repenting. And they have this day where they're all gathering and they're burning their false idols. And the enemy, the old enemy, the Philistines, they hear this gathering. They say, come on, this is a moment where we can take them out again. Remember 20 years ago when we had them. Come on, let's go back and get them. And it's actually on the same piece of ground that they lost that battle. That same piece of ground where they were defeated. But this time it was different. The old battleground, the old place of defeat became the place of victory. Because there's this thunderclap. And the Philistines are spread and they're fearful and they run. And the Israelites come and overwhelm them and they defeat them. And so this old ground that was a test suddenly becomes a victory place. And the leader of Israel at the time is a guy called Samuel. And in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, in verse 12, he says, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mispath and Shem. He called it an Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Do you see what Samuel's doing? In that very place of trial, when that trial came back again, they say we're still going to trust God and God fought for them because they'd learnt the test of that place they'd learnt the trial of that place and so he sets up a stone and he grabs a stone and he says right here's this stone I'm going to lay it right here and that stone proves that this far God has been faithful that every time we see that stone we can know God is faithful and Samuel wasn't the only one that laid stones Happened all the time in scripture. People would lay stones and little piles of stones, and it was a reminder that God had been faithful. So they'd grab another stone, they'd walk along the journey, and they'd grab another stone and they'd say, Let's lay another stone. We need another stone to remind just how faithful our God is. And then they'd journey on a bit more, and there'd be some more trials and tests. And they'd have to look back and go, Wow, God, God's been faithful. We need to lay another stone, because our God is a faithful God. And they'd grab another stone. All the way along their journey, they'd lay stones. And they'd say, you know what? When we were in the midst of this trial right here, we doubted God, didn't we? We doubted that he'd be faithful. That trial, it overwhelmed us. That test, it became too big. But then we proved that God was faithful. So now we're going through this test and this trial. I can look back and I can say, God, you've been faithful this far through all the tests and all the trials. There is no doubting that you are going to be faithful. And I'm going to be able to lay another stone. Church, we need to lay some stones in our lives. We need to be able to look back and say, God, thus far you have helped us. Because there is a cornerstone who will never let us down, who will never forsake us, that we can look to every moment of our life and say, you know what? If I'm going through the trial, you are right there with me. It's not that you don't understand it. It's not that you don't know it. You are right there with me in the midst of the trial. And we need to be able to look back and say, thus far the Lord has helped me. So maybe you're you're new to following Jesus. Maybe you're not sure where you stand in following Jesus. Can I tell you something? Start writing your prayers down. Start doing whatever it is, physical things in your life that remind you, thus far, the Lord has helped me. Because let me tell you, there are gonna be some down valley days when you need to be able to look back and say, I need to be reminded that God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful. This thing that is happening to me right now, this trial, this test, God is faithful. Thank you. We're in a flow. This far the Lord has helped us. Let's stand together, shall we? Let's just close our eyes. If you're unsure about whether you're following Jesus or not, He's been faithful to lead you to this point. He's been faithfully drawing you to himself. If you're a new follower of Jesus, oh, know that this far he's been faithful. And no matter what comes across your path, he will be faithful every day of your life. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and you find yourself in the midst of a trial right now. He's been faithful. And we can consider it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. Because the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And this perseverance is doing a work in us to make us complete and mature, lacking in no good thing. If you find yourself in the midst of a test or a trial right now, you know, the best thing you can do is just surrender and an outward way of doing that is just putting our hands out in front of us and just saying God I surrender to you maybe this is the first time you're doing that maybe this is the first time you're saying Jesus I surrender to you he's faithful maybe this is the thousandth time you've been surrendering to him and you're like do you know what it's the same old thing it's that thing in my life it's the same old thing He's still faithful. This far the Lord has been faithful. No matter what you go through. No matter what test or trial. See the joy that sits beyond it. So we're going to use some words on a screen as a stone. That's what these moments are. They're Ebenezer stone moments. They're Ebenezer moments when we declare this far the Lord has been faithful that's what happens when we gather together God's faithful again we're here we've got breath in our lungs God is faithful we're going to declare so we're going to use these words just to declare how faithful our God is sing